Good morning. Today's scripture is 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The word of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Not an especially heartening assurance, is it? Kind of a good news, bad news thing. And then consider these words from Jesus himself. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Surely some of the most chilling words in Scripture. Before I downsized my library considerably, when I retired, I used to have several Bibles that had been published with Select passages highlighted in different colors around a specific theme. For example, I had one, I remember, I think it was called the Creation Bible, that had every passage that could conceivably be construed to advance the cause of creation care highlighted in green. And then somebody else gave me another Bible, I think it was called the Poverty Bible, and it had all the passages about the poor and about God's command that we take care of the poor, and those were highlighted, I believe they were in yellow. I think that's an admirable enterprise, but surely we would have to admit it's subject to blind spots and flaws in interpretation. That goes on with any scripture study, though. Anytime a scripture study focuses on a specific topic or question and the longer the study continues and the more it expands through various individuals over the years there tends to develop what we might call a canon c-a-n-o-n 
In other words, a collection of all the specific passages addressing that topic. In my experience, in certain Christian denominations or traditions, there appears to be an accepted canon of what I call scriptures around the day of the Lord. In other words, scriptures that address the end of time, the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, the apocalypse, all the scriptures that supposedly pertain to those issues. I've never tried to publish a Bible like that, although, you know, it might be a good idea. But if I did, I would highlight all those passages in like leaping neon. There'd be some electronic that when you open them up, they'd look like mm, 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 right at you. Because those scriptures just smack you. They just come right at you. I, if I did, I would call it the end times canon. Because that's not really a thing, except in my own mind. But it's, to me, it's a collection of all those passages in scripture read through a particular lens that seem to say that Jesus is coming back, but he's making it a surprise so it will take us off guard. And he's going to whisk away all the good people to some kind of reward, and he's going to leave all the bad people to their just desserts, hell and brimstone and flame. Therefore, the appropriate response from all of us, according to the end times canon, is anxiety. Like, when's that going to happen? <laughs> you know, am I going to be taken or am I going to be left behind? You've heard that phrase. You know, so that's the question. When I was a younger teenager, you know, eons ago, when I was new to the Christian faith, my family had started going to church, and it seemed like that church was always talking about the day of the Lord, the end times. We were always getting ready for a revival or in a revival or just finishing up a revival and always citing that end times canon. Now, I'm not ridiculing revival. I'm ridiculing the seemingly repetitious nature of it. But anyway, that's another subject. But so many sermons, so many sermons, so many choir anthems. I cannot tell you how many times I have sung the same songs in choir, pleading with people to come down to the altar, come down and repent to escape your doom. Seriously, that's the message. If you haven't been in those church services, that's good. Most of the time, of course, I was a teenager. I was busy doing stuff. I didn't think about it. But I do remember specifically, this is a true story, being disturbed by a recurring dream. And here's the dream. In the dream, I was in a big yellow school bus with a lot of other people. I, I didn't know who they were. I don't know now who they were. But I remember all those people in the bus were screaming and shouting and laughing and celebrating as the bus flew up, up, up through the clouds. But I remember not feeling like celebrating. Because through the window, I could see hordes of people down on the ground clawing for the tires of that bus as it flew away, trying to escape the terror of the flames licking at their feet and screaming in their agony. As you can tell, I remember that dream vividly. A steady, relentless diet of the end times canon can produce that effect. Triumphalism among those people in the bus, or those people who believe they're in the bus, and terror in those people who believe themselves to be not taken. 
I know dozens of people. I could tell you dozens of stories of people who've been affected some much more seriously than I by repeated dreadful warnings of the rapture and the flames. Is that the will of God? To drive people to repent against the terror of God's judgment? You know, I'd like to say no, a resounding no, but the fact is those passages are in Scripture. <laughs> we dare not completely deny them or ignore them. So what are we to do? What are we to do? I mean, it's easy to ridicule that, but it isn't easy to ridicule it if you realize you're talking about the Bible. That's it. Well, remember my hypothetical neon-highlighted end-times Bible? Well, here's my question, and here's the answer to the question, what are we to do? Think about all the passages in that end times Bible that are not highlighted. Think about all the thousands of words in that hypothetical edition that don't seem to address the end times. Because just as the Bible really does give dire warnings, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you can find them. Start reading. But the Bible also gives many, many, many glimpses of God's promises for all those who will receive them. Focusing only on the threat of damnation means missing the promise of grace. I cannot tell you the relief in my heart. I mean, I wish I could picture it. I cannot. When I first heard that you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, this is the gift of God. <laughs> that puts out the flames, buddy. That puts out the flames in your heart of anxiety, that truth. Let me just cite a few scriptural examples, a few other scriptural examples of those promises of God. And these are the words of Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice, Jesus says. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Notice the tense of that verb, I give them eternal life. Not I gave them, not I will give them, I give them. It's, it's, it's being done. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's another calming passage. And, and then this, consider this. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How do we reconcile that with that passage for evildoers and I never knew you? They had not come to Jesus. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. That's the day of the Lord heralded through the promises of God. Let's be clear. I want to be clear. God has a plan from in the beginning to forever and ever. And God's plan is coming to fruition. No one can stop that. That's the story of the whole Bible. But to know the whole Bible, we have to know the whole counsel of God. Because just as we know the words of God, hearing how we hear the words depend not only on the words themselves, but on who says them. Listen to that again. How we hear words depends not only on the words themselves, but on who says them. So to understand the Word of God, we have to understand God. We have to begin to, uh, to get into communication with God and to understand Him. Let me just give you an example of this. Now, the, the reference I'm going to make in this is really old, but, you know, 
gray hair. I hope you can catch it, okay? I hope you're, hope you're still in tune with the old days enough to catch it. My, I take care of my grandchildren. If you've known me 15 minutes, you know that. I take care of them regularly while their parents work. And my grandchildren are three and five. And every time my daughter-in-law brings them over and, to drop them off and leave them with me, as she's going out the door, she says, I'll be back. Now, if you're super connected, what reference does that jingle in your head? <laughs> you know, when my daughter-in-law says, I'll be back, she means comfort. She means peace. She means stop crying, have hope. But when the Terminator says, <laughs> I'll be back, <laughs> he means something entirely different. I watched that clip last night. That's hilarious. It's so funny. But at any rate... <laughs> at any rate you see, there's a key difference between a threat and a promise. A threat and a promise. It's not the words, I'll be back. That's the same diction. I'll be back. But it's not just the words, it's the intent, you see. And so a threat is a statement of intent to do harm to someone. It's an action upon someone else. It's intended to instill fear. The funny thing about that movie is you don't realize it till he runs the car through the building. But you, in retrospect, when he says, I'll be back, you know something's coming. So a promise, on the other hand, that's completely different. A promise is a declaration of intent to bring about a positive outcome for someone. Not to someone, not upon someone, but for someone. A promise is designed to give assurance and hope. When my daughter-in-law says, I'll be back, grown-ups come back. That's a promise. Listen to this. I want to test whether you're hearing God's word as threat or promise. This is from the word of God as recorded by the prophet Isaiah. This is God speaking. He says, I am God and there is no other. These words are just like massive in my head. They're just like the most heavy thing in all of the universe. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Can you imagine what the prophet Isaiah must have realized when he heard those words in his head, in his spirit? I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Now, here's the question. Threat or promise? Threat or promise? Depends on what you think about God, doesn't it? Listen to a few more. Here's from the prophet Joel. He says, this is, the day of the Lord is great. He starts out and you think, okay, good. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? But even now, now this is the voice of the Lord, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I just think that's amazing. I want to read you one more. I didn't put a slide up. Listen to this. I, I just can't believe the, the rhetorical turns in this, how God himself shapes this interaction. These are the words of God in the prophecy of Isaiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it, God says. 
He's talking to his people. I've told you where your rest is, where your strength is, but you're not having it. Yet, God says, the Lord bring, will be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. I really implore you to find some time to read, especially the prophet Isaiah, but also all the other prophets, major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, because what they show us is, here's this God who says, I'll do as I please. There's nobody equal to me. Nobody will stop me from doing as I please. And I please to be compassionate on you. you see, that's just amazing to me. That's just, that's amazing to me. The day of the Lord as that phrase is used in, throughout Scripture, it portends many things. It portends the second coming of Christ. It portends the end of the world as we know it. Apocalyptic judgment on evil. And eternal rewards for all those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ. So is the day of the Lord threat or promise? What will you have? The difference is Jesus, you see. Because without Jesus, it's all threat. It's all law. It's all judgment. It's all death. That's it. Look at the universe sans God, without God. Without God, the universe is all law, regulation, death. You're not measuring up. Done. But because Jesus came... And died at the foot of his cross and at the opening to his empty tomb. It's all promise. It's all life. Isn't that amazing? That's to be understood and held on to. Threat or promise. What will you have? Allow me to reiterate the choice by giving you two final sort of word pictures. I came across this poem this past week. It's just, it was amazing to me. It was like a light bulb. It's called A Vision of the End, written by a Cherokee poet named Tukwasti. I apologize for my pronunciation. I'm not sure that's correct, but it's phonetic. The End, of, A Vision of the End. He was written in 1899. 1899, when the Cherokees were being horribly treated by the American government. He writes a long poem, and this is the first stanza. I once beheld the end of time. Its stream had ceased to be. The drifting years, all soiled with crime, lay in the filthy sea. And he writes a long poem, every stanza, about all the, the filth and the disgustingness. And he ends this long poem with this stanza echoing the first. I once beheld the end of time. Its stream had run away. The years all drifted down in slime. In filth, dishonored lay. A powerful, poignant lament of the destruction of creation by the evil of humankind. No redemption offered, none accepted, no hope. It's an incredibly hopeless poem. But then in the same week, 
in another source, I came across these words, which you may very well know, by Martin Luther King, Jr. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, We'll get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I know what we sometimes think King was talking about. I believe King was talking about something really big. More than racial equality. King was talking about those people who are living in the light of Christ, the coming of the Lord will be jubilation. On the edge of apocalypse, are you living under threat or promise? It seems to me that there is no doubt that we walk in the valley of the shadow of death these days. Wars and rumors of wars, our warming planet, Disease and the death of our dreams. What can we hold on to? Whom can we trust? Where is there hope? When will there be deliverance? To all those questions, the good news is our only security, our sure and best hope is the promised day of the Lord. Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. Let us pray. Oh Lord, call us to faith. Hear our thoughts. Receive our prayers. Because of Christ Jesus. Amen.